let me just say um, again <clears throat> how much I appreciate everybody uh, that's here. This church has been bounced around and moved around, and uh, I've, I've come to affectionately refer to our church as America's most flexible church. Yes, that's us, huh? Uh, churches aren't known for their flexibility. In fact, they're known to be among the most rigid people on, on the planet. Uh, and this church is different. This church is different. I mean, we're scattered all over Escondido right now. We got people on Grand Avenue. We got people working with kids. We got people in here. We got people in there. Uh, still trying to get people from parking lots and helping them figure out where stuff's going on. And you guys keep coming up and, and serving and praising the Lord and just uh, being a light. So uh, just let me say thank you uh, for, for that. And uh, the, much love from me and the rest of the staff to you guys for just how you uh, serve the Lord on a regular basis. Uh, we're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 2 today uh, as we take a look at um, kind of the overall theme of this series is about truth about what it is, what it's not. And we use the term truish to use uh, as a way of referring to things that are kind of true and kind of not. Things that we say that are kind of popular sayings that have some truth to them, but they're not completely true. And so today our truish-ism that we're going to look at is the truth hurts. Um, as we do, let me just give you a preview as you're getting your Bibles open. You can follow along on the, the Bible app as well, the Version Bible app. Open it up. And click more, then events, then find us. And uh, you can go right through the outline as we keep going um, along here. And to those of us joining us online, uh, welcome. Welcome to America's Most Flexible Church in Action. Um, the next two weeks, um, uh, I'm really excited. We've got two weeks left in this series. Two weeks from now, uh, renowned theologian Ron Highfield is going to be joining me. And we're going to do an interview uh, and we're going to, he and I go back and forth talking about kind of the weighty issues of the day, uh, theologically. So here's your opportunity. Uh, if you'd like to put a question in there uh, for us to talk about, I can't promise you we're going to be able to deal with all of them. Uh, but if you'd like to, to say, hey, I've always wondered this, or uh, it has to do with truth, or it has to do with uh, anything, apologetics, uh, the intersection of science and faith, uh, any, anything like that. Uh, you can email me, tim at newvintagesd.org, send it to me, uh, and we will throw it in the queue, um, and we'll, it'll be a pretty interesting Sunday a couple of weeks from now. Next week, we're back over there in our normal post um, over in the conference center, so uh, no need to, um, to wander around trying to figure out where we are. So with that in mind, off we go. We live in an increasingly polarized society, and it's pretty easy for us in times like this to simply say, uh, when we say something that offends somebody or when somebody says something that offends us to look at them and say, hey man, you know, the truth hurts. It's our way of simply saying, if you're upset by what I said and how I said it, uh, then you're the problem. And the reason that you're the problem is you just don't like that I'm telling you the truth and it indicts you. It makes you feel like uh, you've done something wrong and yeah, that's painful, but I'm just keeping it real. I'm just telling you the pure gospel truth, uh, without giving proper care to how we're delivering the truth. We have these polarizing issues, big things like, what are we going to do down on the border? What are we going to do about Syria? Should Ellen have sat with George Bush? <laughs> Best burger. What a burger, five guys, in and out. We all know the answer to that. Does candy corn taste good or bad? That one's a big one right now. Um, if you think candy corn is nasty, raise your hand. Okay, these are all the liars here. No people that raise their hand. <laughs> candy, candy corn's amazing. All right, let's just get that out right now. 
Uh, but, you know, there's some things I just pulled in right there at uh, maybe Juniper and all oh, fifth or sixth. There's a four-way stop sign. And it was one of those deals where we all got there at the same time. So there are rules for these things. If you're there first or you all happen to be there at the same time, then that's one thing. But when everybody actually arrives at the same time, uh, it can be a little, you know, tricky as to, okay, who's going to go first? And then there's always the person that, that you have the nice people who kind of like, you go first. No, you go first. No, you go first. You go. And then both of you go at the same time, right? And you stop and then you get mad. And then there's the one guy, the third guy, who is committed to being the first one. And he jumps in the middle of the intersection. And when that happens, when that moment, everybody's cars go there, somebody's going to look at the other people like, you're an idiot. You've endangered me. Don't you know how to drive? And they can say with their eyes, right? They don't have to say it with words. They can say it with their eyes. <laughs> Some say it with their fingers. We hopefully don't, you don't do that. But they can say it with their eyes. And, uh, you know, I just think that in the world we're living in, if you want to stand out, like the Bible says, you want to shine like stars, as it says in the book of Philippians, you do things without grumbling and complaining. And you do things in a more civil way than the rest of the world does. So among the, the ways that we're distorting the truth now is making it kind of in vogue and cool to be rude about how we convey truth to people. And that, does a, that used to be just something that religious people did uh, to people, but that's not the case anymore. We all do it to everybody. It's, it's almost everywhere. It's the air we've come to breathe. Uh, you can make a, the most benign comment in the world out loud or on social media or to the wrong person and find yourself in an immediate uh, civil war. Uh, one word wrong and your life can change permanently and on the flip side some of us are wound up so tightly these days that one word from somebody else uh, can really traumatize us um, it used to be that we used to say all sorts of things that were were, were far rougher than the things that get said today uh, but but we had a little bit thicker skin it seemed but now we've got this combination of people getting coarser in how they talk plus people getting more sensitive and so then the sparks fly. So how do you actually convey truth to people when the truth could hurt? And when it doesn't just hurt because it's actually vindictive, or it's, but, but that because people are sensitive, it hurts more. You ever found somebody like that? It's just, you know, when your kids are small, then they, they hurt themselves. They stub their toe a little bit, or they drop something, and it breaks. It makes a loud noise. They cry. Um, Grown-ups, hopefully, are a little thicker-skinned. And in the same way, uh, what Paul is going to say to Timothy is that if you want a sign of maturity, look at how people talk about the truth. How often they get in foolish, silly arguments, he's going to say. So you don't run at those. You run the opposite direction, and he gives us some instructions on that. When we're on the receiving end of uh, the shrillness of our time, some of us are content to simply change what we believe. Because we don't like hearing it. We want people to be nice to us. So the solution becomes, I'm just going to change what I think. Okay, fine. I'll believe that. Well, that's not the answer. It's also, though, on the other side, when we're the, the dealer of truth, it's also tragic to hurt people under the auspices of telling the truth because God is love. And so if we're conveying the truth, it needs to be done in love, or it's hard to say that we speak for God. Love is his essence. Now, love isn't defined by did somebody's feelings get hurt. Uh, God's truth isn't bound by the sensitivities of the receiver of the truth. But the scriptures speak very clearly to us that we are to take great care 
in how we talk to people about truth. Our church is preparing to be down on the corner of Juniper and Grand before you know it, and we will be in the marketplace of ideas. We will be there amongst a lot of people who don't know the Lord at all and have a very clear sense of what they believe to be true. And if we're going to have any kind of witness that, that makes sense and has real integrity to it, we are going to have to train ourselves how we handle ourselves and the way that we communicate truth to people. It doesn't mean you change the truth. It means you work on the formation of your character to such an extent that the way that you communicate truth is truthful, that it has integrity to it as well. So with that in mind, let's open our Bible, 2 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to read verses 22 to 26. This is Paul, the old sage, uh, the old apostle, uh, talking to Timothy, who he calls his son in the faith. I mean, these two are very, very close. And Timothy's getting his ears boxed, both by the world that he's preaching in and by the churches that he's dealing with. And so Paul is trying to help him learn how to get by and how to communicate truth. So here's what he says. Uh, this is 2 Timothy 2.22. Run from anything that stimulates youthful lusts. Instead, pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. Again, I say, don't get involved in foolish, ignorant arguments that only start fights. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but must be kind to everyone. Be able to teach, be patient with difficult people. Gently instruct those who oppose the truth. And perhaps God will change those people's hearts, and they will learn the truth. And then they will come to their senses and escape from the devil's trap. For they have been held captive by him to do whatever he wants. We're just going to take this verse by verse, piece by piece, and all 15, 20 minutes from now, the sermon will be yours. He starts out there in verse 22. He says, run away from anything that stimulates youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faithfulness, love, and peace. Now, when he says youthful lusts, it really means just desires. And when you look at it in the context, he's not talking about anything sexual or anything like that. He's really talking about that propensity that young people have to squabble, hot-headedness, uh, that's why, for instance, when you see two kids fighting over a toy in the playground, it's not uncommon to see one kid smack the other one or wrestle it away from them. Or uh, uh, when kids are in, say, later elementary school, particularly in certain environments uh, where you, they've had certain challenges growing up, um, it certainly was the case in my school. It's, I think it's probably a little less so today, but there was a propensity to, if somebody said the wrong thing, especially about your mom or your whatever, it, it was go time. And the answer was, we're, we're fighting. Like, physically, we are fighting. There is no exchange of ideas in a civil fashion. It is, we're scrapping over this. Now, adults usually don't behave that way. He's talking about that youthful brashness, that, that hot-headedness that makes you just want to get in a fight about whatever. He says, run away from anything that stimulates that and pursue righteousness, faithfulness, love, and peace. Now, youthful hot-headedness and things that stimulate it are everywhere. Uh, and I think there's a couple reasons for that. One is awareness. There are a lot of things that go on that upset us now uh, that have always been around, but we just weren't aware of them, and now we are because of the world we're living in where there's information everywhere and we can see videos of things everywhere. So that, that stimulates a youthful hot-headedness at times. Uh, we can see who's saying what and when. They used to say it in private nobody knew it. Now they tweet it and it goes out to millions. 
Um, so you're, there's an awareness. You, we, we inhale more stuff that potentially triggers that impulse. Uh, another is that we're being groomed to think that we are to care about almost everything very deeply, no matter what it is that happens. So if, for instance, Ellen sits with George W. Bush, I should have an opinion about that. Uh, nobody would have dared to say, yeah, you should have an opinion about who sits next to who. In reality, who cares? They're two adults. If they want to sit next to each other, who am I to care about it or weigh in on it? Um, is one way. That's how it would have been handled in the past. But now everybody needs to weigh in on it. Everybody needs to offer their opinion on it. And you need to have an opinion on it. And if you don't, then you clearly don't care about world peace or, or whatever. There's an escalation of anxiety and that youthful brashness, that, that you, the youthful lusts, so to speak, of just getting in and mixing up. Quick and strong anger in the scriptures is not usually portrayed as a virtue. James 1, 19 to 20 says, Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. So if we're living in a world where the mantra is, you know, essentially, I'm outraged, therefore I am. Okay, that's what kids do. That's what Paul's trying to get Timothy not to do. Don't, don't get involved with things that stimulate that part of you that wants to get in and just lash out at people. Now, that doesn't mean, by the way, that you ignore things, and it doesn't mean that you, you never engage. But he's about to talk to him about how you do that in a way that honors God rather than doing it in a youthful way that basically is kind of a schoolyard style of engaging the truth and people who, who to use Paul's words, oppose the truth. We live in an extremely uh, difficult time to be able to practice this. Quick to listen. I thought it was quick. Quick to speak is easier. Slow to anger. Okay, quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, knowing that human anger doesn't produce the righteousness of God. There are some that would even coach us to say, no, the angrier you are about certain things, injustices, et cetera, et cetera, um, the more godly you must be. Okay, now, uh, they're not completely wrong. There are some things that should grieve the hearts of humans, just like it grieves the heart of God. But just like God is identified as, guess what, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, the kind of person who removes our sins as far as the east is from the west, somebody who's characterized as, um, you know, a, a, a jealous God in the sense of he is desirous of our hearts. Um, we should, if the heart of Christ is in us, our hearts should imitate that of our Heavenly Father. So here's what ends up happening. I'll speak for myself on this one. Um, but what ends up happening, because it, it is pretty common if you're a pastor, when something goes on in the world, people want to hear your opinion on it. And so they'll put a, essentially the, the microphone, figuratively speaking, in your face. What do you think about this? Why haven't you said anything about this? Um, and what I've tried to do, I used to, I used to have an opinion about everything. And I used to have one very quickly. But as the older I've gotten, the more I realize that things aren't as simple as they seem. The reason that not everybody agrees on everything is because it's not as simple as it seems. And so... I don't, it's pretty hard to, to, to convey deep and profound truths in a tweet um, or to give thorough analysis uh, on Facebook. That's just not what it's for. 
Now, sit down and have those conversations or actually sit down and study the Bible with somebody on an ongoing basis where you can ask questions, answers, and feel comfortable saying, you know what, to be honest with you, I'm not sure. Let me look into that. Let me think about that a little bit, and we'll, I'll talk to you later. And to wait for all the facts to come out before I respond. That's another thing that ends up happening all the time is uh, the ready, fire, aim method of getting information out there. Uh, hey, it happened. Here it is. Go. Everybody's commenting. Everybody's feeling things about it, and nobody's listening. Nobody's listening. They just saw. So what ends up happening is the equivalent. As a parent, the mom, she hit me kind of thing. I have three daughters. I'm back with they were younger. There would be, uh, we had a, at the time a two-story house. And I'd be downstairs and I'd hear the screams. Somebody would start crying. And then the, somebody would run to the edge of the stairs. And, uh, you know, those little prison bar looking things um, that you look over and down and say, hey, you know, they hit me or whatever. And you go up. Now, now, as a parent, your job is not to just go up there and say, oh, they hit you. Well, I'm just going to grab the kid and discipline them right away. If you're a wise parent, one of the things you do is you stop and you get the facts. And sometimes what you find is that they're crying and they're not because they just hit harder than the other one. The other one actually hit first. <laughs> that one is bigger and punched them harder. Okay, so that's why that one's crying and that one's not. Well, if she punched you back because you punched her first, that matters, right? I mean, doesn't it? I mean, it should. Um, I mean, you're not, you're not innocent if that's what happened. And, and sometimes you're like, well, there's a moral lesson. If you punch somebody in the face, you can expect them to be upset and punch you back. You know, so uh, lesson learned and move on. Or, or you discipline both of them or you do something, but you're getting facts from things. And then if you're really mad as a parent, if you get really upset, you're not wise at that moment to act when you're furious, are you? Is that what good parents do? Do we judge parents and the best parents are the angriest? I mean, if we apply it to another sphere of life, we would think it was so absurd that we wouldn't give it any more thought. But somehow we think that as a civilian or as a church member or as whatever, that if I'm angry, that means I'm just and I'm right and I care. When in reality, if, if you look at the way that Paul's framing this issue to Timothy, he's saying, no, it just means you're, you're a kid, spiritually. You don't have any control over your emotions. Verse 22b, uh, the second half, that's what B means. Um, enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts, he says. So you run away from one, then you enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. Now, why in the world would he talk about that? Because one of the best antidotes to youthful immaturity is maturity. And in theory, you find those people inside the church. People whose eyes and minds are focused on the things of Christ, who are mature in the Lord, and that does two things. Number one, they keep you rooted in the right place. I'm here, and, 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 and they, it keeps me focused on the right things, so I don't get derailed by things that don't matter as much. And I'm accountable to my sisters and brothers, so when I start acting stupidly, they can say, whoa, 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 Tim, what are you doing? Like, settle down, dude. Like, is that really the way you want to handle that? There's accountability relationally for things like that. So you have these people, he says, uh, enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. And sisters and brothers, one of the best things that we can do for each other is to simply remain a people of peace who role model for the people um, among us what it looks like to be mature and grown up emotionally how we handle our anger. So 
who and what we surround ourselves with matters. And if you want to focus your life on Christ, truth, love, peace, the things that Paul outlines there in 2 Timothy chapter 2, then who and what you surround yourself with really does matter. So if you want to be the opposite way, then just do the opposite. Okay, then he goes on and says, this is very important, avoid arguments on things that don't really matter and are prone to escalate. He says, again, I say, don't get involved with foolish, ignorant arguments that only start fights. You haven't been in one of those, have you? A foolish argument. Something that often is not even about what you're arguing about. You can ask, there's, there's a phrase in our house that we use because of a, of, a, of a legendary pointless argument that happened one night. My wife's putting her hand in the air. I'm not going to tell the story, don't worry. <laughs> but the phrase, the last tortilla, okay, in our house is a phrase we use to refer to a stupid, ridiculous argument that can get way out of hand uh, because when you're, when you're squabbling about it, you don't, even, you don't see that it's going to escalate the way that it does. I mean, you, you, married couples that are here, this is the air you breathe, especially when you're younger in a marriage. Now, some of you, that was 10 minutes ago before you walked in here, right? Pointless arguments. It's about how long somebody took to, be, to get ready or how long this happened. And it started out small and then it just grows and grows and grows. And the next thing you know, you guys are slinging spit. is flying everywhere. You know, sometimes dishes start flying. I mean, it can get really ugly. And he says, Timothy, he, Timothy, don't get into those kind of spats that make you quarrelsome and that escalate, that only start fights. Now, in this life, sisters and brothers, we're always going to need to take some stands, okay, that are, that are worth fighting for and that have the potential to escalate. He's not talking about things that don't matter. He's talking about being a quarrelsome person who just loves to mix it up, who loves to jump into things to see them escalate, who loves to stand outside the pile and yell, fight, fight, fight. Just don't be like that. That's what little kids do. Proverbs 17, 28, if you want to memorize one, here's a, here's a good one. Even fools are thought wise when they keep silent. With their mouths shut, they seem intelligent. <laughs> I love that one. I mean, look, silence is sometimes, sisters and brothers, Silence is sometimes the sign of a mouth under the lordship of Jesus. So sometimes sitting there and watching and being a source of peace rather than volatility is the way to go. Verse 24, he moves on. He says, a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but must be, oh boy, kind to everyone. Be able to teach and be patient with difficult people. Hmm. I don't like that one. Let's move on to the next verse. No, I'm just <laughs> um, not being quarrelsome is mentioned here, and it's also, by the way, listed as, as a qualification for elder. It gets passed over all the time. Not being quarrelsome. It is not quarrelsome. Now, sometimes, even people like myself, people in the ministry, we think that we're being a prophet, when in reality, we're just being immature and we lack self-control. It's like you just get out there, you air your opinion, and you, you think if you put on a t-shirt that says, Hi, my name's Amos or Micah on it, that that makes you a prophet. The scripture said, Whoa, 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 whoa. You've got to be really, really careful in saying, Yeah, this is, I'm, what I'm saying is very similar to what Micah did. 
or John the Baptist did, or what Jesus himself did. When you put words in the mouth of God, you got to be right. And you got to walk humbly in that case. Let me ask you a question real quickly. Can you think of a time when your outrage actually made you better? Or when it improved the situation? Now, there probably are a few. Um, I've, seen, I've been in some cases where there was... Uh, I, I remember watching one bigger kid uh, beating up a smaller kid. This was actually right before a church service. Uh, and I was in college at the time. And they were right by a set of hedges. And I just took the bigger kid and just threw him in the bushes and then helped the other kid out. Um, and, and I saved that kid a pretty serious beating. He was getting a pretty good-sized beating from this other kid. All right, well, at that point, you just jump in and you help, right? But there's a difference between something maybe like that and then Moses and the Egyptian, where you get involved, and the next thing you know, because you are filled with rage, somebody, somebody, somebody dies. Somebody really gets hurt. You really say something that is hard to unhear. You say it to your kids thinking in the moment they just need to hear this. And they're going to hear it on a daily basis for the rest of their life. So we have to be careful about how we do these things and how we approach the idea of truth and how we communicate it. Um, I'll give you an example uh, from the pastorate. It wasn't that long ago, maybe a year ago. Uh, it was actually two summers ago. Uh, we, America was having a particularly difficult evening. And I remember I was sitting in, uh, I was in Princeton, New Jersey, watching television uh, and watching just the stuff that was going on. And I was on Twitter, which is a huge mistake. Twitter's, Twitter's, the funny part of it is people making jokes and doing things, and that's fun. But boy, when, when something's hot out there, it's a really tough neighborhood out there. I shouldn't have done it, but I did. It's like a you know, car accident. It's hard not to look. And I wonder what people are saying on Twitter. Next thing you know, you're, you're sucked into it. Now I'm in a quarrel. That's about to escalate. You know, a pastor, a very well-known pastor, wrote this. I'm not giving you his name because I don't, I don't do that usually. He says, I'd rather go to hell than share heaven with American evangelicals. Ugh. You know what I mean? He adds then, if heaven is going to be full of evangelical Christians, I'll take my chance with hell. Uh, you know, and you just go, you got to be better than that, man. I know you're mad. Everybody's mad. There's nothing special about being mad. Anyone can do it. You know what nobody can do, it seems like these days, is contain themselves. Act maturely. Be in a world that, where the anxiety is just flying around you and stay at peace. He says be kind to everybody. Be patient with difficult people. I've, I ask this, when we interview somebody to come on staff at NBC, I ask this of everybody. What kind of people really bother you? And I want to hear what they say. And it's funny because they sit there and if I can trust them, they'll have an answer for that. If, if they're trying to just get the job and they're not willing to tell the truth, then they'll say, oh, nobody really bothers me. <laughs> okay, well, well, so let me ask you that. 
What kind of people really bother you? I mean, the ones that just make you full of rage. Somebody says this, and somebody does that. Is it lazy people? Is it the, the right-wingers or the social justice warriors or the talking heads on television? Is it the, is it the homeless? Who is it? Well, those are the people that you've got to have kindness, gentleness. Gently instruct, this is um, 2 Timothy 2, 25 to 26, gently instruct those who oppose the truth. And listen to the aim of that. Perhaps God will change those people's hearts and they will learn the truth and then they will come to their senses and escape from the devil's trap for they have been held captive by him to do what he wants. He says you're gentle toward them because they're not the enemy. There's something else going on that you don't see. The people themselves are not the enemy. They've been duped by the enemy. And so if you're, if you're willing to be kind and gentle to them in how you tell them the truth, God might just change their heart. And that's what... They need to embrace the truth. He says they've been held captive by him, the, dark, uh, the, the, uh, the devil's trap, been held captive by the devil to do whatever he wants. Perhaps God will change those people's hearts and they will learn the truth and then they will come to their senses and they'll escape. God, not arguments, change people's hearts. That's what he's saying. Then they will learn the truth and until the heart is changed... The truth is likely to be elusive. When a person opposes the truth, they themselves are not the enemy. The enemy simply has them, and God wants to redeem them. So our job is not to interfere. It is to introduce the truth gently and in substance, and by not contributing to small arguments that derail conversations of real substance or escalate into petty squabbles and fights. Well, so there are some times uh, in the past where, where uh, people of my own ilk, the pastorate, uh, there was a time when um, there was a famous atheist by the name of Madeline Murray O'Hare who was out there, and she would take letters from people. Um, she did a debate once with, a, with a, uh, a former apologist and pastor, and he was particularly ugly in the course of the debate. Uh, there's a biblical scholar, Walter Leefield, who writes about his conversation with kind of the angry Christian guy after it was over. Um, his response to people who thought he'd been too rough with her was, I did not go there to save souls, but to destroy a heretic. And then Leefield writes, I believe the Apostle Paul would have hoped rather to destroy heresy and save a soul. See the difference? That's what Paul's trying to communicate. The truth will hurt sometimes. It's unavoidable. But it should not hurt all the time. So how should we respond? How do we live this out? How do we walk in obedience to what the scriptures say? Some of it might be by avoiding those moments when we get involved with quarrels that we know are just going to escalate and take us down a dark road. Some of us need to just kind of stop self-triggering all the time. Um, much of what we see in here that sets us off is filtered for us, kind of for that purpose. Um, Jesus says, if your right eye causes you to sin, cut it out. When James says, get rid of all the filth in your lives, it is in the context of things that cause or, or stir anger. 
So if your newspaper is causing you to sin, get rid of it. Stop looking at it, you know? And I know there's always this danger, how will I know what's going on? I don't want to have my head in the sand. I've always wondered, who gets to decide what the sand is? Like, why is, why is it having your head in the sand to, uh, to ignore that as opposed to ignoring what the Bible teaches you about something? Um, I can count the number of times the Bible excuses our behavior on the grounds that it was offensive to us on no fingers. It's, it's just not there. I wish it was. Make my life a lot easier. But an eye for an eye, the world works. That isn't how those who follow Jesus work. And so, in just a moment, we're going to gather around the table uh, of the Lord. We're going to take communion together. My hope is, if you have time today, walk right out of here, hug your brothers and sisters, definitely pick up your children if they're here. Okay, get you a cup of coffee, some water. Head over to Grand Avenue, and I want you to get a sense. If you're, not, if you're new here, maybe you don't know what our church is up to. We're in construction right now. We're heading over to the corner of Juniper and Grand. You can go take a look at it right now. If you sneak a peek, if you're tall enough, look around the corner. You can see all the way inside the Ritz, and you can see all the way through the back wall. Uh, it's completely empty. Big, brand-new, shiny roof on it, and uh, some cool stuff going on. And I want you then to take a look at the people around you. Look at Grand Avenue. Look at all the hundreds and thousands of people walking up and down that street. I want you to think of them as sheep without a shepherd. Think of them as people who are not, you know, just out trying to ruin the world. These are people that God loves, people that, that we have an opportunity to be a blessing to. And let's go and experience it. We've got some of our brothers and sisters over there at that booth, sweltering in the heat. Man, get over there, give them a high five, give them a hug, thank them for what they're doing. And let's just resolve that as God's people, we're going to do everything that we possibly can to be gentle in how we communicate the truth, that we're going to be kind to everyone, even difficult people. So may we remember our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ now as we take the bread and the cup, the symbol of the body and blood of Jesus who died for us when we weren't that adorable and that easy to get along with. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, now with bread and cup, we give you thanks. I thank you, Father, for each person gathered here, how you're working in their life. I thank you for this church, Father, the, the flexibility and the graciousness with which um, they come and they serve and they, they bring the joy of the Lord with them on a weekly basis. And I pray, Father, that you would keep us from pointless arguments that just escalate things and make the world an uglier place rather than being a source of grace and truth at the same time. May we be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. May we embody the values of Jesus in the fruit of the Spirit. And may, Father, we be truth-tellers. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.